Chapter 9 Lost and Found The next morning, Han whistled cheerfully as he showered, and even rubbing the nasty-smelling antifungal gray goo over himself couldn't depress him. He and Bria were getting off this world, and they'd have plenty of credits once they sold the stolen items from Teroenza's collection. Han would be able to pay for his new ID, food, and lodging while he took the exams to get into the academy. And when he got out, he'd be an officer, a respected man, and Bria would be waiting for him. Rubbing his wet hair with a towel, he headed for his clothes, which were lying across the foot of his bunk. He had no warning. None at all. One moment he was walking. The next... Something had grabbed him and flung him to the floor so hard it knocked the wind out of him. Han gasped like a beached whaledon, and spots danced before his eyes. But there was something else there, too, holding him down, something that had one gigantic hand pressing his chest. Instinctively, Han lay still, gasping and finding breath, realizing that hand could crush him like a dilga nut. Blackness swam before his eyes. No, the blackness was real, real and furry, with a white spot in the middle of its chest and bristling white whiskers. Han managed to focus his eyes. Merg! He gasped feebly. What's going on? Merg snarled into Han's face, his huge fangs so close that Han could see them gleam with saliva. Pilot planning to escape. Take Bria, he growled. Vic planning to steal from Elysian masters. Vic planning to take care of Merg. But the hand pressed down slightly, and Han subsided, eyes bulging. Merg raised a massive paw hand and flexed it slightly. Scimitar-like claws extruded. All treacherous pilot will die, the Tagorian snarled. No! Han put up his hands in a gesture of appeal. Please, just listen. Merg listened last night. Merg heard plenty, the Tagorian said grimly. Hey, pal, Han babbled, imagining what those claws would do to his exposed throat. I thought we were friends. Merg liked Pilot. Merg is sorry to have to kill Pilot. But word of honor was given. No choice for Merg. The hand started down. Han squeezed his eyes shut and waited for the end. He felt the breeze of the Tagorian swing graze his cheek, his throat. But nothing touched him. After several eternities, Han opened his eyes again. Merg was staring down at him, plainly torn. Finally, he grabbed Han by the shoulder and hair, jerked him to his feet, and pushed him in the direction of the Corellian's clothes. Get dressed. Merg not want Pilot's blood on his claws. We go to tell Terroenza what Pilot and girl are planning. Priests will tell other guards to kill traitors. Han hastened over to the bunk and began dragging on his clothes. At least he wouldn't die naked and wet. 
Listen, Merck, he said. You've got to listen to me, please. What can it hurt? Pilot lies. Merg knows he lies. Merg, I will not listen. That's a good sign that he's regaining his cool, Han thought. The grammar I taught him is coming back. Sealing the front of his coverall, Han sat down on the edge of the bunk to pull on his boots. Your people have a code of honor, right? He said, thinking as fast as he'd ever thought in his life. Yes. If you give your word of honor to someone who's employing you, you've got to keep it, right? Yes. Pilots can move faster than that. Put on those boots. Han slowly inserted his right foot, toes pointed down, and began to pull the boot on. Well, pal, suppose you gave your word of honor to someone and found that everything he told you was a lie on his part of the contract. What does that do to your agreement? Do you have to keep your word to someone who's lied to you and made a fool out of you? Merg eyed Han suspiciously, but said nothing. Come on, pal. What's your code of honor say about making agreements with liars, eh? Merg shook his massive head, then his ears flattened in anger. If a Tagarian makes a word of honor with a liar, contract is void. There is no honor to be had dealing with a liar. All right, Hans said with a surge of satisfaction. He picked up his left boot. Listen to me, pal. I think Marav is here, on Yalisha. I think Teroenza lied to you. Merg stared at Han, then his blue eyes narrowed. You would lie to stay alive, Vic? Yeah, I would, pal, Hans said honestly but I swear to you, I ain't lying about this. Swear? What is this swear? It's like a word of honor, sort of, Han said. My people swear by the most important thing in the world to them. It's like sacred, I guess you'd say. So what does Vic swear by? Han thought for a moment. I swear, he said, slowly and distinctly, by Bria's life. You know I care for her a lot, don't you? Merg considered for a moment, then nodded. Okay, then. I swear to you, on Bria's life, that last night she told me she saw a Tagorian here, six months or more ago, that would tie in with the time you were searching for Marath, wouldn't it? Silently, the Tagorian nodded again. She saw a Tagorian, Merg. Ask her yourself. Teroenza and his goons lied to you when they said she never came here. She's probably still here on Yalisha. Probably not here at Colony 1, because that's too risky. But there's a good chance she's at Colony 2 or maybe even three, but Colony 2 has been there longer. They've got a lot more pilgrims there than at Colony 3, so I'm betting she's at Colony 2. It's worth checking out, isn't it? What did she look like? 
Merg asked slowly. For a moment, Han was tempted to lie, say he didn't know, because what if he was wrong about the Tagorian being Merov? And Merg got mad and killed him right here and now. He took a deep breath. Bria said she was white and some other color. Striped. She thought they might be orange stripes, but she said it was almost dark, so she's not sure. I sure hope Morov wasn't solid-colored or spotted. Merg's ears flattened, and he hissed like a leaky valve, teeth bared ferociously. Han desperately looked around for something to brain the Tagorian with, but there wasn't a thing in reach. Silently, he resigned himself to being ripped in two. Then Merg's furious hiss mutated into a pain-filled yowl of anguish. The big alien sank to the floor, clutching his head and yowling in an ululating keen. You have described her, he growled, finally. By all the gods of my fathers, can she have been here all these days while I believed those liars? I will go now to tear their throats out and eat their hearts. Han muttered softly. I'm glad that worked. Merg leaped to his feet, obviously ready to make good on his threat. Wait! Han leaped up and grabbed one huge arm, hung on as he was dragged across the floor, through the living room, almost to the door. He dug his heels in and refused to let go. Merg! If you want her back, stop. Merg slowed, then stopped. Good, Han said, panting. Now, let's talk about this like rational sentience, okay? Sit down. Merg sank down onto his pallet. Han switched on some music, then pulled his beat-up chair so close to the Tagorian that they were nearly touching. Talk low, he whispered. And Merg nodded. I've got a plan, Hans said. I think I know how to get her, if she's still here, on Yelisha. I just hope they haven't shipped her off to the spice mines, he thought. But he didn't say it aloud. Merg knew what happened to the slaves as well as he did by now. Okay, Vic, Merg said equally softly. Tell me the plan. Han thought a moment. I'm going to need your help for some of this. I've got some preparations to make, and I'll try to get everything possible set up before I leave. Leave? Vic is leaving. Yes, but I'm not talking about our final escape. In a couple of days, I've got to deliver a message and a gift from Zaval to a hut named Jiliak on now. Hata. I'm supposed to stay there and wait for a reply. I've never been to Nalhata, and I don't know the drill there, but Jalus Nebel has. Merg nodded to show he was listening, and nervously began to groom his white whiskers. So, okay, the dream is really too small for three. I'm going to point that out to Teroenza and tell him Nebel wants to get back into flying again as my co-pilot. I'm pretty sure he'll agree to let me and Nebel fly this mission together. I'm going to suggest that you stay here, because there won't be room for you. 
Han got up and began pacing back and forth as he thought. The priests know you like to hunt, right? So when I get permission to take Nebel with me, you should request to spend a couple of days hunting. You can move fast over rough ground, right? Very fast, agreed the Tagorian. Fast enough to track and kill prey. Do you think you could make it on foot to Colony 2? Yes. Merg sounded positive. Well, it's our best shot. If Morov is still here on Yelisha, there's a better than 50-50 chance that she's at the colony, too. You should go there and scout it out. Find out if she's there. And rescue her! Merg leaped to his feet. No! Han snapped. Sit down! That would be the worst thing to do. They'd start a planet-wide search for the two of you. They'd use sensors tuned to Tagorian readings to pinpoint you. Then you'd be captured and probably killed, or sent to the mines of Kessel, which amounts to the same thing. You want Merg to see Morov, and not let her see him? Exactly. Just find her. Scout out where she sleeps, eats, stuff like that. Then, when we make our getaway, you and me will hop over to Colony 2 and break her out of there. I've been doing some late-night scouting around this place, in case you haven't noticed. Murder the Tagorian said dryly. Everywhere Vic went, Murg was behind him, watching... Why do you think I knew to listen when you walked Bria back to her dorm? Well, anyway, I figured out how to create a diversion that'll keep the guards busy while we get the best stuff out of the collection, and I know where the communications center is. I'll make sure that communications between the colonies are down by the time we get out of here. We'll hop over to Colony 2, and before they know what's happening, we'll grab Morov and be hightailing it off this planet. Then I'll take you both back to Tagore, okay? Merg looked at Han, his blue eyes narrowing, whiskers twitching with emotion. You will do this for Merg and Morov? Yes, I swear it. If you help me and Bria break into and steal Terowenza's stuff, I swear to you, we won't leave without Mroth. The big Tagorian thought about that for a long time. Then his eyes met Hans. I will do it, he said. Word of honor. Han nodded. It's a deal, pal. That same evening, Han went over to Teroenza's treasure room to find Bria. He was wondering if she'd be attending devotions now that she knew they were faked. Standing outside, he knocked on the heavy metal sheathed door. It's me, he called in response to her voice from inside. The door opened and Bria stepped out. Han's eyes widened. Hey, you look great. 
for the first time since he'd known her. She'd doffed her bulky tan robes and concealing cap. Instead, she was wearing a simple pale blue tunic and trousers. Although modest in style, they revealed a figure that was slender, but definitely female. Exalted Teroenza told me I could dispense with my pilgrim robes while I was working on the collection, she told him. When she saw the warmth in his eyes, she blushed a little but smiled. He was afraid that I'd catch my robes on some valuable artifact and knock it off a shelf. Well, I approve, Hans said. Want to get a cup of tea? Sure. When they were seated in the mess hall with cups of stim tea before them, Bria smiled shyly at Han. So, you really like the way I look? You bet, he said. You're the prettiest girl on this planet, no kidding. She smiled. Then the smile faded, and she looked troubled. You're apparently not the only one who thinks so, Vic. What do you mean? I had the strangest exchange with Gunnar Toss, Teroenza's majordomo this morning. He'd apparently never seen beyond the pilgrim robes. But when I put these clothes on, he really noticed me. He followed me around for about an hour while I was trying to get some rearranging done, making conversation, or trying to. Those orangey-red eyes of his gave me chills. He's old, but it's obvious he still has, um, plenty of life in him. If you get my meaning, male life. Hans sat back. You mean that old creep was coming on to you? She shivered. I'm afraid so. He wanted to know how old I was, whether I was ever married, whether I had any children. He asked me why I'd wound up coming to Yelisha to be a pilgrim. Very personal questions. He had a lot of nerve. Han leaned forward. So why did you come here? Or do you consider that too personal to tell me, too? She smiled wanly at him. Of course not, Vic. Why did I come here? It seems so long ago it's hard to even remember. I was going through a bad time. I'd just finished kid school and was kind of scared at the idea of going to the university. I'd never been on my own before. My mother always kept a tight rein and made me feel as though I could never do anything right. Studying hard and behaving myself weren't enough for her. She smiled, but it was not a nice smile. My father encouraged me to have a career, but all mother could think about was my making a brilliant match. She thought her dreams had come true when I started seeing Dale. Han felt a stab of jealousy, but reminded himself that there had been other girls in his past. More than a few, matter of fact. We were on the verge of getting engaged when I caught him sneaking around with another girl, so I told him it was over. My mother was furious with me for breaking up with Dale. He came from one of the richest families on Corellia. And she'd already begun planning the wedding. She sighed. 
she ordered me to go to him and apologize, get him to take me back. For the first time in my life, I told her, no. She sounds like a very determined woman, Hans said cautiously. Determined isn't the word. Mother had pushed me at Dale ever since we were in school together, and I didn't have the courage to tell her that I didn't like him that much. It's funny. Her blue-green eyes grew misty. I didn't much want Dale. But when I knew he'd been sneaking around with someone else, I felt betrayed and heartbroken. People are strange, aren't they? Han nodded. Go on, he said encouragingly. Well, just about that time, I heard about a revival that was being held by a Yelishan missionary. I was feeling pretty down on myself because I just knew I couldn't do anything right. Uprooted, you know? Cut off from everyone. So I went to the revival. The Yelishan priest finished his service with just a few seconds of exaltation, and it made me feel so good like I belonged with those people. So I sold my jewelry, ran away, and caught the next ship for Yelisha. She smiled wistfully. So, that's my story. And to return to the subject at hand, what do you think I should do to keep poor old Ganartos at arm's length? Well, if he bugs you too much, mention it to Teroenza. I'm sure he doesn't want anything to interfere with your work, and if Ganartos is doing that, then he'll put a stop to it. Okay, she said, cheering up. That's a good idea. Are you going to devotions? Han asked, giving her a significant glance. She shook her head. No, I don't want to. Won't they notice when you don't go? I can always say I had a headache or was working late. Most of the pilgrims can't wait to go, so they don't keep tabs on who's there. That's true. How about a walk, then? Sure. When they were outside, Han walked them clear to the flowered plains before he broached the subject on his mind. Quickly, he summarized that morning's interaction with Merg. Bria was alarmed to realize that the Tagorian had been listening to them last night and said so. Yeah, me too. Han replied. That big guy can be real quiet when he wants to be. No wonder he says he's the best hunter on this planet. He's apparently been following me the whole time I was scouting out the lay of this place and figuring out the best way to get us out of here. We'd better be careful where we are when we're discussing escape plans, she said, glancing nervously around. Why do you think I walked us clear out here? before I even brought up the subject. The trees have ears around here. We've got to be real careful. Last night it was only Merg, so we're okay. But it could have been one of the skin changers they've got as guards down in the glitter stim factory. She shivered at the thought. So what did you have to tell me? Merg's going to ask to go on a hunting trip while Jalus Nebel and I make the run to Nalhata. We've got it all set up. Teruenza approved me taking Nebble with me today. Now Hutta's two systems away, and it'll take us four days, maybe five. 
I promised Merg he'd have that long to find out if Morov is still here, and that if she is, we'll take her with us. That would be good, Bria said. I hated the idea of leaving Merg behind. If Terowenza got angry enough, he'd probably kill him for letting us escape, whether Merg was responsible or not. Right, Hans sighed. I just wish I could figure out a way to break into Terowenza's living quarters and search the place until I found where he keeps those ship access codes and the security lock codes for the collection. So far, I'm stumped. I've figured out a way to keep the guards busy. But if I can't get those codes, I may have to change my plans. I might have to set the welcome center on fire or something. Security codes? Bria frowned and closed her eyes. Security codes? She drew a deep breath then began reciting a string of numbers, symbols, and letters. That sounds like it. Han grabbed her arm in excitement. How'd you get them? She gave him a tremulous smile. They were in Teroenza's mind. I'm afraid they're burned into mine, along with everything else. I wish I could forget them, and all that other stuff. But I can't. He grabbed her shoulders and gave them an ecstatic little shake. Well, don't wish that till we're off this mud hole. Bria, honey, this is great. You've saved me a lot of trouble. She smiled at him shakily. I paid an awful price for it. But if it helps us, I guess it was worth it. It will be, Han promised. Trust me. I swear it will be. She nodded. So, all we have to do is avoid arousing suspicion until we're ready to make the break. That's going to be easy for me. Nebel and I will be off-world. Think you can manage to just do business as usual here till we get back? I think so, she said. But hurry back. I will, sweetheart, he said. Bria gave Han a pleading look. After we're free, could we go to Corellia, Vic? I want to see my folks again. I want to let them know I'm all right. Han gave her a reassuring smile. Sure, sweetheart. I've got some business to take care of on Corellia, so that'll be one of our first stops, okay? She gave him a radiant, answering smile. Okay. When Vic left her at the door to her dorm, Bria told herself that she'd just go upstairs and take a nap until it was time to go to dinner. If anyone asked, she'd plead a headache as an excuse for missing devotions. But when she reached her room, she picked up her pilgrim's robe and cap and stood holding them. Tomorrow, she thought, I'll start tomorrow. After all, I've had a rough couple of days. Nobody could expect me to miss the exultation just like that. I need a day to work myself up to it. And before she knew what she was doing, Bria found herself back in her robes and cap, hurrying down the path of immortality toward the altar of promises.
Two days later, a jittery Han and a placid, jealous Nebel stood waiting outside Jilliac the Hutt's audience room in his winter palace. A small, hollow recording device rested at Han's feet. It was designed to project a visual and audio simulacrum of the center. Nebel was steadying a large, elaborate box on an anti-grav lifter. The box contained the gift Zaval the Hutt had sent to his business associate and sometime rival, Jilliac. Wonder how much longer we'll have to wait, Han muttered nervously, pacing a bit. It's been almost an hour. For an audience with a clan leader, this is nothing, Jalus Nebel said. Once I waited two days to even reach the antechamber. And don't forget, we've got to wait for a reply. Once I waited a week. Don't tell me that. Han grumbled. I don't want to hear about everything that can go wrong. I'm still skeptical that we're going to walk out of this place alive. Huts are notoriously bad-tempered, you know. I already told you, we're perfectly safe. The Celestin replied. Forgive me if I'm being dense, but why can you be so sure of that? Han snapped. Long ago, in the early days of their coming to Nalhata, Hats lost so many messengers that communications between the clans completely broke down, and everyone lost profit because of it. Nebel explained. So all the clans made a sworn pact. A messenger from one hut to another is sacrosanct. While we're delivering Zaval's message and taking back his reply, we cannot be touched or interfered with in any way. Yeah? I sure hope you're right. Han mumbled. He looked over at the big box. I thought Zaval was mad at Jelliac, he whispered. So how come he's sending him a gift? Nebel shook his head. Gifts are traditional. To gain a hut's attention... You must either present him with a gift or threaten him or her. Sometimes hots do both at the same time. Han grimaced. Weird. You sure you don't have any idea what's in there? That box is big enough to hold most anything, even a body, if you folded it up. I'd feel better if I knew. The box is sealed, Nebel pointed out. If we open it, His Excellency Jilliac will know. We don't want any trouble. Yeah, I know. Han grimaced, and to distract himself from his worries, looked around. The antechamber was high-ceilinged, with skylights. It was built of light-colored stone, and the pale walls were hung with tapestries woven, it was said, by Jilliac's enemies, while they languished in his dungeons, waiting for the mercy of execution. One depicted the original hot homeworld, the desolate and barren planet Varl, and another the great cataclysm that destroyed it long, long ago. Still another showed the great hut diaspora to Nalhata in the YouTube system. Nalhata, Han knew, meant glorious jewel in Hatese. The last tapestry was a full-sized portrait of Jilliac himself, reclining in state upon his lavishly appointed but tasteful dais. Han hadn't seen much of Nalhata since he and Nebel had been whisked into a droid-chauffeured land speeder and taken south to Jilliac's remote winter palace. 
The hot lord's retreat was located on a small island near the equator. Jealous Nibble had informed Han that he was lucky, that this island was, by comparison with the rest of Nalhata, a virtual garden spot on this dank and noisome world. This island reminded him of Yelisha, hot, humid, and full of giant trees choked with huge vines. Han's attention jerked back to the here and now when he realized that Dorzo, Jiliak's Rhodian majordomo, was beckoning to them. His Supreme Excellency Jeliak, clan leader and protector of the righteous. We'll see you now. Hastily, Han picked up his recorder, and then he and Nebel walked into the audience chamber. It was huge. Han paced up the central aisle toward the dais, feeling the luxurious pile of an expensive carpet beneath his boots. The chamber was filled with fawning sycophants of all races tastefully garbed dancing girls and boys, and an orchestra off in one corner. A massive buffet table heaped with food from a dozen worlds made his nostrils twitch as Han suddenly recalled that he'd forgotten to eat lunch. Juliak reclined at his ease on an audience dais, smoking something that Han couldn't identify but which he wanted no part of. Even the faint whiff he got of the expelled smoke made his head swim. Jealous Nibble nudged Han, and he nervously stepped forward. Almighty Jeliak, he said in Hatiz, recalling the speech Zaval had rehearsed with him. We come from our Yelishan masters of all the hut to bring you a message and a gift. First, the gift. He beckoned to Nibble, and the Celestin, as agreed, stepped forward. Jiliak peered down at them, then ordered in Hatiz, Open it. I wish to see what Zaval deems worthy of me. Yes, Your Excellency, squeaked the Celestin, who set about slitting all the seals and releasing all the catches. Han watched in fascination as the Celestin raised the lid on the box and withdrew two crystalline globes with bronze supports, which he balanced one upon the other and then placed the entire contraption upon a sturdy, curved bronze stand. All of the metal was chased with gold and silver designs. There was a small housing on the back of the bottom globe that contained some kind of Battery, Han thought. The Corellian stared at the thing in perplexity. He had no idea what the device was. Jiliak did, however. A combination hookah and snackquarium, he boomed, speaking, of course, in Hatiz, which Han by this time understood very well. And one almost worthy of our greatness. Just what I wanted. How did he know? He turned his attention back to the two messengers and continued more formally. Messenger, Saval's gift pleases me. Let us hope his message does as well. Activate it. Human? Han bowed low, set the recorder on a low table, and switched it on. Immediately, a hollow simulacrum of Zaval appeared.
disappeared, filling the space before Gilliac's dais. My dear Gilliac, Zaval said, stretching out a hand toward Gilliac, as though he could see the other and were really present. Over the past year, some unfortunate occurrences have plagued our shipping operations out of Yelisha. Ships have disappeared, and one ship was attacked as one of the heads of our Kajidier. It was my duty to trace down these despicable incursions. Juliac's pleased expression had faded. Han cast a nervous glance at the Celestin. I sure hope he's right about us being safe. We have traced these so-called pirates to Narshada, and recently my operatives have captured and questioned one of the captains of these vessels. This unfortunate individual revealed, before succumbing to a weak heart, that he was recruited and sent upon his villainous missions by you and your great nephew, Jabba. Your enmity wounds us deeply, and what is more important, cuts into our profit margin. Be warned, Gilliac. Leave our shipments alone. Any more attacks will meet with swift reprisal upon you and your clan. We have assembled a great fleet, which will surely vanquish your paltry forces. Thought Han wildly. It's just me and Nebel. Zaval's bluffing. Or did he recently hire more pilots? Zaval's message continued inexorably. Accept our gift as a peace offering, or meet with grim consequences, among which your own death will be the least. Chiliac! I appeal to you in the name of Hot Brotherhood to cease hijacking and terrorizing our vessels. We can make a much better profit if we work together, instead of contending with each other. By this time, Han and the Celestin were backing away in terror, because Chiliac was swelling up like a poisoned wound. Heed my warning, Jiliac. Cease your... Jiliac's scream of fury made Han and Nebel leap behind the buffet table. The hot lord's tail lashed out in a giant sweep to strike the recording device, sending it flying. Zaval's image vanished. Jelliac slid forward. Han watched in horrified fascination. It was the first time he'd seen a hot lord move under his own power. Messengers! Jelliac screamed. Come forth! Slowly, reluctantly, Han and Nebel crawled around the edge of the table and got shakily to their feet. Yes. Almighty Chiliac. Nebel quavered. Han was incapable of speech. I send you back 
to that worm-ridden, parasitical infestation who calls himself Zaval. Jilliac raged, tail-lashing, as he moved back and forth. Tell him he has maligned me and my kin, Jabba. Tell him this lack-witted attempt to incite me into a precipitous attack has failed utterly. I will bide my time. He is a dead hut. But for the moment, by my grace, he may pretend to be among the living. I alone will decide when he is to die, and it will be at my convenience. Do you understand? Messengers! Almighty One, Han said. Having recovered his voice, it was obvious that Jilliac was letting them go, and he wanted nothing more than to get off this world. He bowed, then bowed again. I'll tell him exactly what you said. Good! You may go. Take my message to Zabal. Immediately! Bowing, Han and Nebel backed from the audience room. Once outside, they hastily leaped into their transport and ordered the droid driver to return them to the spaceport immediately. Han had never been so glad to see the Elysian dream waiting for him. He and Jalus Nebel ran across the landing field, scrambled up the ramp, and threw themselves into the control cabin. Only when they were out in space and Han was pulling the lever to send them streaking into hyperspace did enough of his sense of humor return that he was able to grin feebly at the Celestial. Well, Nebel, he said, that went well, didn't it? The Celestin rolled his large, wet eyes. You still don't understand, Vic, he said. When one is dealing with huts, there are wheels within wheels within wheels. It's entirely possible that Zaval sent that message because we are vulnerable, to keep Gilliac from attacking more openly. We're just underlings. We only see part of the picture. All you can do is pray to any god you believe in that you never anger a hut. One would be better off dead, and that is no understatement. Han nodded. I believe you. Still, if I were Zaval, I wouldn't rest too easily at night. He may not have long to live. Murg glided through the jungle in the dimness of the short Elysian twilight. It had taken him a day and a half to travel the 147 kilometers to Colony 2. Part of his slowness had come from the perilous crossing of the Gachugai River. He'd been so exhausted by struggling through the rapid current that he'd had to take two hours out of his trip to hunt and then another hour to sleep. He was still tired from his ordeal, but he was finally here. He listened for the sounds of chanting voices as he skirted the perimeter of the compound. Colony 2 followed, as far as he knew, the same schedule as Colony 1, so the pilgrims should be at the evening devotions. His nostrils flared as he tested the wind, constantly sniffing for any Tagorian spoor. 
Several times, Murg got down on his hands and knees and moved forward, sniffing, drinking in the scents left by the pilgrims who had recently passed this way. Five minutes later, he jerked as if he'd been hit with a stun prod. Morav. Morav came this way no more than a day ago. Wandering cautiously around the outskirts of the buildings, he located first the dorm she slept in, then the factory where she worked. Lastly, he followed the freshest scent trail to a path that he was sure must lead to the Altar of Promises. Apparently, Colony 2 was laid out on a nearly identical plan to Colony 1. Without checking farther, the Tagorian melted back into the jungle and moved as quickly as he could toward the site of the devotions. For a moment he wondered whether Morov might scent his trail. But it was unlikely. He'd been thoroughly soaked in that river and had deliberately avoided the instinct to rub against anything and leave scent markers. He didn't want Morov to try following him back to Colony One and possibly becoming lost in the jungle when his trail was interrupted by the river. The Pagorian arrived just in time to automatically resist the mental and physical waves of the exultation. Narrowing his eyes, Merg scanned the writhing forms in front of him, and found Merov. She was twitching, but not really writhing. And there was something false about the way she moved that allowed him to pick her out easily. She is faking, Merg thought. I knew Merov was too strong-minded to be fooled by these liars for long. He strained his eyes to make out every line of her beneath her pilgrim's robe, but all he could see clearly was her head, orange stripes contrasting vividly with the white. He longed to see her lovely yellow eyes, but he was behind her and to her right. She could not see him. For a second, Merg nearly threw caution and his vow to Vic to the winds. It was everything he could do not to race into the crowd of pilgrims, grab his mate-to-be, and carry her off into the jungle. But he had given Vic his word of honor. Morav must not know he was here. As the pilgrims staggered to their feet, the exultation over, Merg's eyes widened as he saw that Morav was wearing a blue sash, as were about fifty of the hundred or so pilgrims at the devotion. That sash. That's the sash of the Chosen Ones. Oh, no. He could have hissed aloud in his frustration and fear. Merg had been on Yelisha for many months. He'd seen those sashes before. Sure enough, as the pilgrims began shuffling into the night, the high priest stepped up to call out to them in his booming voice, All pilgrims who were issued blue sashes today! Please remain behind. Your high priest has an announcement to make. Obediently, the pilgrims with blue sashes stopped walking toward the path and instead shuffled forward. Morav looked as though she was thinking of yanking off her sash and making a run for it, but she didn't. Merg yowled inwardly. Does she know what those sashes mean?
Those of you who have received these blue sashes are being honored as chosen ones. Your piety and devotion to the one and the all have caused us to select you for a singular honor. Tomorrow night will be your last devotion here at this altar. At dawn on the following morning, you will be taken by spaceship to meet with our missionaries, and each of you will be selected by one of our missionaries to accompany him out to spread the word of the one and the all. Merg heard excited, greedy murmurings from the crowd, and knew the true pilgrims were ecstatic over the implication that they would be able to receive exultations without sharing it with hundreds of other pilgrims. Stupid, was the Tagorian's first thought. They are no better than Bistoratello. Were they only a being hunted and eaten? Those spaceships will take them only to the mines of Kessel, or the pleasure houses of the Imperial soldiers. They will receive no more exultations. They will live in degradation and misery, and most of them will die within a year. His second thought raised the fur along his neck and spine. Only a day and a half until they ship her out of here since the Imperial soldiers want only humanoids in their pleasure houses. That must mean that Morov is destined for the mines on Kessel. They figure that since she is Togorian and strong, she will last a long time in the mines. Murr slammed a hand against a tree bowl. Curse them, I have little time. The Yelishan overlords will undoubtedly call upon Vic or the Celestin to ferry these pilgrims to the space station to await the Kessel transport that is coming. I must be back at Colony One to help Vic so we can all escape together. Merg leaped to his feet and loped off through the jungle. Feeling fear drive the fatigue from his body, he turned his face southeast, heading back for Colony One. There was no time to lose. Morav's very life hung in the balance. The Tagorian ran, leaping over logs and streams, ducking through low-lying bushes. His breath came easily, but he knew that would not last long. He was already travel-weary. But that could not be allowed to matter. Like a black shadow in the blacker night, the Tagorian ran. Bria had just finished devotions and was heading for the path leading back to her dorm when Ganar Tors fell into step beside her. She stiffened, keeping her head down, and refused to look up. I wish Vic were back. He's been gone three days now. Ganar Tors wouldn't be following me around like this if Vic were here. The elderly Zissian reached out to grasp her arm, but Bria yanked it away. The majordomo smiled as he stepped forward, barring her path. The exalted one, Teroenza, wishes to speak with you. Pilgrim 921, he said. Oh, no. 
she thought, feeling her heart seem to stop, then slam in her chest so hard she was afraid Ganartos would actually hear it. Teruenza has figured out that I was the one who telepathically probed his mind. Wh what does he want? She managed to say, through stiff lips, wondering if she should just try to make a run for it. Perhaps she could hide out in the jungle for a day or so until Vic returned. He has something to discuss with you, Toss said, smiling at her. Bria cringed from that smile, but she decided there was no point in running. The guards would only track her down and kill her. So she turned and headed back toward the Altar of Promises. When she reached Teruenza, the high priest peered down at her as she made the proper obeisance. Bria's heart pounded, and she was so frightened she felt lightheaded, dizzy. Pilgrim 921! Teruenza addressed her in his booming voice. You have served us faithfully, and I am pleased with you. I am also pleased with my loyal servant, Ganartos. I wish to reward both of you. Bria glanced sideways at the Zissian, whose orange eyes were practically glowing with happiness. Oh, no, I have a bad feeling about this. Teroenza indicated the majordomo. Ganartos has asked me for your hand in marriage, and I am pleased to grant his request. Stand before me, and I will pronounce the words to make you his wife. Bria gasped and wondered if she should let herself faint. She felt as though she might be able to do it. Black spots swam before her eyes, and her ears rang. Then she felt a wash of pleasure engulf her, such exquisite pleasure that she almost passed out from that. The pleasure was so intense, so warm, so loving, that she might almost have agreed to anything, just to have it continue. But just as she was about to nod like a pliant zombie, Vic's face swam before her eyes. Bria's spine stiffened, and her chin came up. She didn't dare faint. If she did, she'd likely wake up married to Gunnar, Toss, and being carried back to their nuptial bed. The thought made her gag, and the priest's pleasure vibes lost their power over her. Bria experienced a sudden vivid image of herself sharing a bed with Ganartos, and for an awful second she was afraid she might be sick. Control yourself, she commanded. Think. But, exalted one, she murmured timidly, forcing herself to keep her eyes modestly downcast. I have taken vows of chastity. I cannot marry anyone. Your Piety does you credit, pilgrim. Teruenza boomed, and yet the one and all bless fruitful unions, just as much as they bless the celibate state. 
I am granting you a special dispensation so that you may marry Ganartos and raise your children to be faithful to the one and the all. Clever old monster, Bria thought, hating Teroenza as she'd never hated anyone before in her life. There's no way around his argument without my committing blasphemy. She took a long, deep breath to give herself time to think. Very well, exalted one, she said meekly. If you say this is the will of the one and the all, I must bow to it. I will be a good wife to Ganartos. Gritting her teeth inwardly, she forced herself to lay her hand on his warty green arm. Good pilgrim. Teroenza said, raising his arms to begin the ceremony. But, exalted one, Bria raised her voice slightly. I must follow the customs of my own people before I can consider myself legally married. Before the priest could refuse her, she hurried on. They are simple and easily fulfilled, exalted one. I ask for but a day to purify myself and to meditate upon the sacred state of marriage. Also on Corellia, it is traditional for a woman to wear a green gown to her wedding. I can easily ask the tailor droid to prepare one for me by tomorrow evening. Bria held her breath as Teroenza hesitated. Finally, the high priest must have decided that she wasn't asking for that much. Very well, Pilgrim 921, he boomed. Ganner Toss's face fell. Tomorrow evening, before the entire assembly, you and Ganner Toss shall be joined. May the blessing of the one and the all be upon you. Teroenza sketched a quick sign in the air and then turned and lumbered away. Ganartos headed purposefully for Bria. I will walk you back to your dorm, he said. Very well. She agreed, but she pulled away when he tried to put an arm around her. The groom must not touch the bride during the last day before the ceremony. She cooed, lying through her teeth. Another Corellian tradition. Surely you can wait one short day, my groom-to-be. He nodded shortly. Very well, wife-to-be. I swear to you, I will be a good husband. It is my fondest wish that we will be blessed with many children. That is my fondest wish, too, Bria said sweetly. Within the voluminous sleeves of her robes, she crossed all the fingers of both hands. Please, Vic, she thought frantically, hurry back. 